Amen. Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find one in the pews in front of you if you're here in the sanctuary. But we're going to be in Mark chapter 11, verses 27 to 33. We'll be in Mark this week and next week, and then Pastor Stephen will be beginning a new series in the book of Exodus after that. But as you're turning to Mark chapter 11, verse 27, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Mark 11, verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another saying, if we say from heaven... He will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Throughout Mark's gospel, the authority of Jesus has been put on display. From the beginning of the book, we have seen the unparalleled authority by which Jesus said things and by which he did things. When Jesus entered the synagogue at Capernaum in Mark chapter 1, we learned that the people were astonished at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. In chapter 2, when the, Jesus, the Jewish scribes questioned Jesus' ability to forgive the sins of a paralytic, Jesus made the man walk to show those scribes that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. When the Pharisees pointed out how Jesus' disciples weren't keeping the, their traditional laws surrounding the Sabbath, Jesus answered them by claiming to be the Lord of the Sabbath. When Jesus sent out the 12 apostles to extend his work, he gave them authority. He gave them authority to cast out demons. Throughout his ministry, Jesus demonstrated that he had authority over sickness and sin and Satan. He had authority over the sea. He he calmed it. He walked on it. He even had authority over death. He raised others to new life. And implied throughout Mark is the fact that Jesus obtained his authority from God. Though the the scribes tried to say that Jesus was acting on behalf of the devil, Jesus easily debunked their half-baked theory back in chapter 3. The source of Jesus' authority was God himself. And this was confirmed by God the Father when he affirmed Jesus in his ministry, both at his baptism... 
And at his transfiguration, he called Jesus his beloved son with whom he was pleased. And he told others to listen to him. And it was this divine authority that mesmerized and captivated the people of Israel. They had grown increasingly excited about Jesus and about what he could do for them. And it had reached the point where when Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a, on a donkey, the, the people of Israel shouted Hosanna on Palm Sunday as they ushered their Messiah into the holy city with great expectation. But on Monday, they witnessed Jesus exercising his authority in what was likely an unexpected way. Instead of beginning to deliver the Jews from their Roman oppressors, he directed his attention to the very heart of Jewish culture. He went into the temple. He cleared out buyers and sellers and money changers. He was righteously indignant because of what the religious leaders had allowed the temple to become. Instead of a house of prayer and worship, it had devolved into a convenient and lucrative marketplace. The activity in the temple was an empty shell of religion, devoid of the crucial substance of genuine faith and spiritual worship and dependent prayer. Led by her leaders, Israel was like a withered fig tree. The broken temple system indicated that the faith of Israel was dying. The temple was no longer serving its purpose as a place of prayer. It would eventually be destroyed. But it would be replaced by a community of praying people who themselves were temples of the living God with the spirit of God dwelling within them made possible by the sacrificial death of Jesus several days later. Now, Jesus' actions in the temple weren't taken lightly by the leaders of Israel. During his ministry, they had already met together to discuss how Jesus needed to be dealt with. They had agreed that he needed to be eliminated. We see this all the way back in Mark chapter 3, verse 6. But Jesus' actions at the beginning of Passion Week were the, the tipping point. And we'll see here at the end of Mark 11, all the way through the end of chapter 12, a number of controversies that occur within the temple between Jesus and these leaders. These leaders are motivated to bring Jesus down. And one after another, like enemy fighters in a kung fu movie, and they approach the good master. They bring their best moves. They try to trip him up. They, they try to trap him. But one by one, Jesus easily deals with them. This section in Mark's gospel shows us the authority of Jesus once again. But it also highlights for us his great wisdom and the futility of rejecting him. As we look at the first of these temple controversies today... We'll discover that we run from Jesus, not because he lacks authority, but because we're unwilling to submit to it. We reject the authority of Jesus, not because he doesn't have it, but because we don't like it. And we'll take these verses in three parts. First, we'll consider the alarming authority of Jesus in verses 27 and 28. And then we'll look at the wise question of Jesus in verses 29 and 30. And finally, I want to direct you to the weak response to Jesus 
in verses 31 to 33. The alarming authority of Jesus, the wise question of Jesus, and the weak response to Jesus. Let's look now at verse 27 in Jesus' alarming authority. Mark writes, and they came again to Jerusalem. It was Tuesday of the week of Jesus' death. On Sunday, he rode into Jerusalem. He looked around the temple. On Monday, he cleared out the temple. And on Tuesday morning, he passed the fig tree he had cursed in verse 20 on his way into the city, which we see here in verse 27. This reference to Jerusalem reminds us that Jesus had been planning to be here. He had already predicted three times how he would be killed in the city after being delivered over to the religious leaders of Israel. And notice that Jesus came not just to Jerusalem, but specifically to the temple. He returned to the scene of his outburst from the day before. It's possible that he wanted to make sure that the temple marketplace was still shut down. But Luke 20, verse 1, tells us that Jesus had returned to teach the people and to preach the gospel. His ministry wasn't merely one of condemnation. It was one meant to bring reconciliation. And verse 27 says that as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. You might remember that the chief priests were the high-ranking priests of Israel. This would have included the, the former high priests and those priests with permanent roles in the temple. They were the, the senior members of the religious elite. The scribes were the legal experts, but they were a little less like lawyers and maybe a little more like law professors. They were responsible for for teaching people how to understand and live out God's law. And the elders were the respected lay leaders in the community. And collectively, these three groups represented the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling council of the Jews that met in the temple. It consisted of 71 men, some priests, some scribes, and some elders. These men were in charge of the temple, and they oversaw its operations. Now, we don't know if this was an official delegation of the Sanhedrin, but these men certainly were a slice of Israel's official leadership. They were known by the people. They were probably the brightest and most influential. They were the gurus, the one with an Ivy League credential, the ones you might see on TV. Together, they approached Jesus, and they had some questions for him. Look at verse 28. They said to Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? They had questions about Jesus' authority. They, They wanted to know about the nature of his authority, and they wanted to know about the source of his authority. Notice also that they asked him by what authority he was doing these things. The context makes it clear that they must have been referring to Jesus clearing out the temple the day before. But of course, that was just the the culmination of a host of previous provocations. Jesus had been a thorn in their flesh for years. And the present tense of the verb doing highlights how these leaders acutely felt his annoying presence at that very time. He was still doing these kinds of things. And the present tense also might be a hint that Jesus was still trying to keep the temple marketplace closed while he was walking around and teaching on Tuesday. 
The chief priests and scribes and elders were obviously not okay with this because they had sanctioned the sellers and changers in the temple. They had encouraged the people to buy from them. Jesus was bypassing their authority. And his exercise of authority was alarming to them. Who did Jesus think he was? It was one thing for him to teach the crowds in the fields or on the road, but, but to walk in the temple, into the temple, onto their home court, and order people around, that was too much. They hadn't given Jesus that right. And so they asked him where or who he got it from. Now, to the crowds, these questions by the leaders would have been reasonable. In, in order for something to be authoritative for the Jews, it required some kind of previous authorization. Authority wasn't granted to those with the most novel ideas like it sometimes is today. Authoritative instruction was traditional. It was handed down from teacher to disciple. When there were disagreements, the appeal was always made to some higher authority, whether it was to a respected rabbi or a previous decision by the Sanhedrin. To say something authoritatively which differed from established tradition and authority was to be ignorant and foolish and rebellious. And this was part of the problem these leaders had with Jesus. If Jesus had been simply teaching legends or fables, there would be no reason for the authorities to deal with him. But because Jesus taught with conviction, and because he taught to produce and induce change, he needed to be confronted. Because Jesus had dared to teach and, and preach in their minds with, without prior rabbinic authorization and in a manner un, inconsistent with Sanhedrin precedent, he needed to be questioned. To them, the people needed to understand that Jesus spoke and acted without their approval. These leaders wanted Jesus to say something to incriminate himself. They, they wanted him to reveal the fact that his authority did not come from any of their culturally acceptable sources of authority. They wanted to discredit him because they ultimately wanted to destroy him. Because the authority that Jesus exercised in the temple threatened them. It alarmed them. Jesus came and challenged their whole system and that angered them. They didn't appreciate Jesus' authority because he wasn't teaching what they were living. And Jesus and his authority is always alarming when he teaches something that you aren't doing. Think for a moment with me. What if Jesus came into our church and looked around? What do you think he would cleanse? What do you think he would call out? Maybe he'd point out all the people who regularly make sacrifices for work, but rarely make sacrifices for the church or for missions. Maybe he'd reveal all those who legalistically think that their sacrifices are the reason why they have been blessed by God. Maybe he'd uncover all the people who are here more because they want to eat with a friend after the service than dine with the church family at the Lord's Supper. Maybe he'd take note of the people who came into church this morning more preoccupied with health and holiness. 
Maybe he'd call out those who are thinking more about their own rights and freedoms than the good of their brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe he'd call you out. Maybe he'd clear you out. What would your reaction be? Would you feel threatened and alarmed? Would would you pose a question back to him? Would you question the source of his authority? Would you, would you point him to the CDC or maybe to the pastor who said it was a, it's a good thing to eat lunch with people after church or, or, or the fact that you have to work hard to thrive here in this area? Or would you humbly submit to him? Jesus has divine authority. And, and though that has been questioned by men and women over the years, it is unquestionable. How will you respond to the authority of the Lord? How are you responding to the authority of the Lord? Do you tend to get defensive when Jesus calls you through his words to a different kind of living than you're currently living? Do you tend to get alarmed and react? Do you you call upon him in your heart? Maybe not audibly, or you don't voice this to anyone, but you think to yourself that, And Jesus, he's got to justify himself by the authorities of this world somehow. Or are you more likely to be chastened by Jesus and repent? The authority of Jesus was cause for alarm among the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And instead of humbling themselves, they tried to undermine his authority. But we see in verses 29 and 30... The wisdom in Jesus' response to them. Let's move now from the alarming authority of Jesus to the wise question of Jesus. The wise question of Jesus. Look with me at verse 29 in your Bibles. Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. So Jesus answered their questions with a question of his own. So it would have seemed normal back then. It was common rabbinic custom. It wouldn't have come across as if Jesus was trying to avoid their questions. They, they probably would have assumed that Jesus was going to answer their question, but he just wanted to lead them in a particular direction. And they were right. Jesus wisely and, and masterfully responded to them with a penetrating question of his own. It, it was a question meant to lead them to an evaluation of their own motives and intentions. He asked them, was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? And to answer or to address the issue of his authority, Jesus appealed to John the Baptist. And he mentioned the baptism of John because baptism was representative of John's ministry. John preached a message of repentance, but he was remembered primarily for his ministry of baptism. Baptism was the distinguishing feature of his ministry. So Jesus was really asking here, was the prophetic ministry of John, a a ministry where he baptized people and he called them to repent because he was preparing the way for one greater than him. He was preparing the way for the Messiah. Was, Was that ministry from heaven or from man? And Jesus used heaven here as a synonym for God. Heaven was often used as a substitute by God Uh, for God by the Jews out of their reverence for his divine name. So was John's ministry from God or not? 
And I think Jesus surprised the leaders here. He didn't talk about authority that came from a rabbinic school or a particular Jewish precedent or the temple or the Romans or even the Torah. He talked about an authority that came directly from the God of heaven. And by directing their attention to John's ministry, Jesus was was forcing these leaders to make a difficult decision. Would they actually endorse the, the ministry of John as being from God or not? And the reason this question was so revealing and and so wise is because how the leaders chose to deal with this question would indicate whether they were willing to deal honestly with the true authority of the one to whom John always pointed, Jesus. Do, Do you see how genius this is? Do you see how Jesus played their game, beat them at it? He could have just said, God. He's my source of authority. I'm his son. I'm doing these things because I'm God. He could have pulled a Loki and said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, son of God, and I am burdened with glorious purpose. But he didn't. Why? I think he didn't because he wanted these chief priests and scribes and elders to grapple with the twisted motives of their own hearts. They weren't interested in evaluating whether Jesus had true authority. Their questions were a sham. They they were a trap. They were dishonest. These leaders were just trying to gather more evidence against Jesus, trying to build a case that he was a dangerous and, and radical revolutionary with a God complex trying to overthrow the status quo. And so Jesus didn't give them a straight up answer. He used rabbinic custom to deal with their rabbinic trap. They wanted to reveal that he had no rabbinic authority, but instead he asked a question that would reveal their own insincere intentions. Yet his question offered them a chance to take stock of their own hearts and consider whether they were really being honest about the truth that was before them. So Jesus said, for a second time, answer me. Answer me. I don't know for sure what the tone of Jesus' voice was when he said, answer me. But because he wept over Jerusalem, because he described himself as gentle and lowly, I don't think it would be wrong to say that Jesus said these words as more of a plea than a demand. Answer me. Fortunately, they missed their opportunity. And we see this in the last few verses of our passage. The alarming authority of Jesus, the wise question of Jesus, and finally the weak response to Jesus in verses 31 to 33. The weak response to Jesus. Mark writes in verse 31, and they discussed it with one another. The word discussed used in that verse is used in Mark when people are trying to evade Jesus Instead of just answering Jesus, they had to gather together to formulate a response because they were ashamed of the truth. And they said, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? And this is exactly what they wanted to avoid. They couldn't officially endorse John's ministry as coming from God because that would mean they would have to accept Jesus as coming from God. And that's because John prepared the way and pointed to others, uh, pointed others to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the leaders couldn't say from heaven, 
since they weren't willing to believe that Jesus' authority came from heaven as well. And then in verse 32, they asked, but shall we say from man? And notice that Mark just leaves the question there. The consequences of that response are almost too dreadful for them to utter. And that's because they were afraid of the people. For they all held that John really was a prophet. The leaders feared the people. They, they craved their acceptance and support. They knew that if they said from man, they would lose credibility with the people. They would lose their respect. They wouldn't be looked up to anymore. People wouldn't move out of their way as they walked through the temple grounds anymore. They clung on hard to their status. They didn't want to believe that Jesus was from heaven and they didn't want to lose the esteem of the people around them. So they answered Jesus in verse 33. We do not know. They gave a non-answer. Jesus had answered me. He said it twice. He gave them a chance. But all they could muster up was, we do not know. Weak, hypocritical, dishonest. You see, Jesus knew it didn't matter how he answered them. They had already made their minds up. When, when he cleared out that temple, they were infuriated and decided then and there to destroy him. It's not that these leaders didn't know the answer to Jesus' question. It wasn't a matter of intellect for them. It's that they were unwilling to believe. It was a matter of their will. They were scared of everything they would lose if Jesus was who he said he was. They were scared of losing their reputations, their, their status, they were afraid of losing control. The gospel of Jesus Christ is rational. It can and should be examined, but believing it requires more than just intellect, more than just smarts. It requires a willingness to give up some of the things you have now in order to submit to Jesus as the authority of your life. It's easy to think that those in Silicon Valley are too educated to embrace Christ. That's not the problem. It's that the people living in Silicon Valley are too proud, too scared to give up what they think they have gained for themselves. Most people around us don't care if Jesus is God or not. The truth doesn't matter to them. They just want to live their own life and be accepted by others. Like these Jewish leaders, they have no desire to give Jesus a, a fair evaluation or a genuine answer. Because these leaders couldn't answer his question about authority, Jesus told them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. They didn't deserve an answer to their questions. Whatever Jesus said wouldn't have swayed their opinion of him. And their weak non-response indicated that they had forfeited their right to lead God's people. They, they were unwilling to do what they were supposed to do. They were unwilling to take a stance on John the Baptist, like a baseball player who, who can't tell you which base is first and which base is third, or, or a barista who can't tell you the, the difference between a Chemex and a V60, or a gamer who can't tell you the difference between a mechanical keyboard and a membrane keyboard. These religious leaders were exposed by Jesus as those who were unqualified to lead the people of God. They couldn't make a simple determination about the clearly prophetic ministry of John the Baptist. 
When questioned about his authority, Jesus wisely unmasked the motives of these leaders while graciously offering them an opportunity to submit to him. And the amazing thing about Jesus is that he is always, always willing to embrace those who will humble themselves before him. That's why he came. The Son of God came burdened with a glorious purpose. But he didn't come to claim glory as a conquering king. He came to save sinners as a crucified savior. The one who had ultimate authority voluntarily gave up his life for us. You can accept this or you can reject it. The leaders of Israel rejected it. They, they chose the path of least resistance, at least initially. But next week, we'll see in chapter 12, how Jesus warned them that their rejection of him would lead to their eventual destruction. They ran from Jesus, not because he lacked authority, but because they were unwilling to submit to it. Please don't make the same mistake today. Now let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your son. We see his wisdom here in this passage. And we are reminded of his authority. Oh, Father, help us not to be like these chief priests and scribes and elders. And help us not to distance ourselves from them, thinking that we too do not chafe under your authority at times. Oh, Father, help us to to hear you speak through your word and to obey it. Oh, help us to to change when, when we are confronted by the truth of your word. Help us to be humble. Help us to submit to you. Oh, make us a, a church that loves your authority, Lord. We pray these things in the name of your Son. Amen.